gonna be a bright, bright. Gonna be a bright, <laughs> bright something, 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 Sunshiny something. day. I don't know the words. Do I look like a person? Well, why'd you pick the song then? Jimmy Buffett or whoever sang that. <laughs> he did Margarita film. Did you ever hear that joke about he can see Cleary now that Lorraine is gone? <laughs> no. No. What's the rest of the joke? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't remember, honestly, how it actually goes, but the premise <laughs> is that uh, he's married to Lorraine and he's cheating with Cleary, and then uh, Lorraine dies, and the final line is, I can see Cleary now, Lorraine is gone. <laughs> so, uh, there's your, your positive marital joke for the day. You ever hear the one about the uh, cat sat down on the bicycle pump? No. Doesn't exist. Just <laughs> funny premise. Blowing up cats. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. (laughs) Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the queen of fucking audio, Kristen Pennington. (laughs) I try. You know what I got to do today? Team. What did you get to do today? I got to scratch my beard. (laughs) And it got recorded. So you could say I'm kind of a big deal. You know? Like I'm on fucking par with... DiCaprio or Da Vinci or whoever. Brad doing all that method acting. All the method acting. Using <laughs> the, uh, God damn it. Diegetic. Diegetic sound. I always want to say the, okay, never mind. <laughs> I made the joke too many times. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> but we're coming at you with a heavy heated topic today. <laughs> I don't know why I felt the name to say it. Like I was hosting a goddamn radio show in fucking Kansas City. You remember that guy? <laughs> On the radio. He's like, about to hit you with a heavy rock and roll! And they were making like shit jokes on the air. It was awesome. Oh no, that's someone else I'm thinking of then. Never mind. Yeah, when we were pulling out of Kansas City, and it's like, how the fuck is this guy on the radio? That one, yeah. Trying to be a super edgy morning host. (laughs) It's like, just get a podcast, my guy. Mm -hmm. Why are you trying to get yourself pulled off the air? No, uh, but before we get into the heavy stuff, I figured we'd. I ate a piece of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) you did it's dark chocolate it doesn't count um before we get into the heavy stuff though i thought we'd talk about uh how the film's going and Mm -hmm. uh how that's since you brought up the sound stuff already how that's related to us doing the show (laughs) yeah no i want to cover the uh the stuff that we did today and then i'd like to cover the how our homework assignments going for february if you guys need that it's online go check it out at uh at the nightmarebox.blog who if you, you forget it we're me. never gonna i've already forgotten my password <laughs> you almost got yeah, me i've on got that it, it auto fills on my laptop i try to check it on my phone i can't remember the password to the oh, website no. i have no fucking idea what it is um but yeah, today we did some uh, audio recording because we didn't have the audio recorder uh, on for a lot of the shooting because yeah. it's just the two, just the two of us, and I've, <laughs> I've never done this before. Um, so, I fuck need to yeah. Get a, my shoulder rig has like a C um, C ring or whatever it's called, yeah. where you can mount extra stuff to the top of it, and I need to get like a way to mount my audio recorder because it could all just be there together, and oh, that would be, be awesome. Perfect, yeah. So, I need to look at getting some kind of way to mount the. Uh, I use a Zoom H5, I believe is what it is, mm-hmm. like mounting my Zoom onto the rig, so it's all kind of there together. Because that's the problem; like it's very difficult to handle 
doing the audio and the video all by my lonesome. Yeah, but luckily <laughs> I'm a master class actor, so you just showed me the raw shot, and you were like, this needs to look, you need, need to you do, to the, do the, exact, the exact same thing. Yeah, down to the beats, like, we had to, like, time it out where it's like, okay, there's four seconds between these two movements, and three seconds between these three movements, and we need to do this over here, and that over here, and got damn fucking close. Editable. Yeah close yes yeah. <laughs> thankfully i can uh, break it apart and kind of move it around as needed but yeah i've already replaced the audio for two of the shots and mm-hmm. i if i didn't know i had done it i wouldn't know i had done yeah. it <laughs> and for the people who don't know kind of what we're talking about like one of the things we had to do was i had to sit down in the chair paste the exact same way reach over for the piece of paper and load it into the typewriter and then we had to get all of that down to the exact lineup, but we couldn't play the video in the background because we were doing an audio recording. So I couldn't even like look at myself kind of out of the corner of my eye to see when I moved. I just had to memorize the paces. I mean, I and guess Kristen was like right in my face with the recorder thingy. I guess I could have muted it and let it play, but I didn't yeah. want you to be like distracted by that because I was like, I know to some extent I can edit this and make it work. But you went to work for like six hours. I I, I acted for like all of you know, an hour and a half, if was that... Was that long? It didn't seem that long. It, it was a while. <laughs> but it, it was fun. We had a lot of laughs. I got to scratch my beard. So what are your big takeaways? Um, I do actually feel like, oddly enough, um, producing the podcast has made me flow through the audio work yeah. a little bit faster. Like, I'm still definitely not an expert at editing audio, but, um, yeah, whenever... We finally got all that stuff recorded. It took me maybe half an hour to patch the mm-hmm. two shots that I've got done already. And I feel like that's pretty quick. Professional audio yeah. editors out there might be like, that's damn slow. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we're doing it by ourselves, okay? Yeah. We don't have a whole crew. We don't have a whole team. She shot it. She edited the audio on top of it. Try to do all that by yourself, fucking <laughs> fictional audio dude. And there's like a, a shot where, because there's a gun in our... December short film that I still haven't finished yet. Probably getting a double feature at the end Probably, of January. Probably, to be yeah. honest, yeah. Um, there's a, a gun in our December short film, and there's a shot where Brett's loading the bullet into the gun, and mm-hmm. then he clicks the gun shut. And um, we did, like, three or four takes of it. And I liked the way the bullet being loaded sounded in one of the other takes mm-hmm. better. And then I liked the way the cylinder closing yeah Yeah. the way it sounded whenever you like clicked it shut better in a different one so i literally like (laughs) cut them apart and put two completely different pieces together and i love non-gun people explaining gun anatomy (laughs) shut (laughs) up it's a revolver she's talking about the cylinder it's okay (laughs) the gun opens and closes okay But no, it was fun because I was just like, oh, I've had to do this for the podcast before, like pull sections out yeah. and patch it back together and make it sound like it never happened. I was like, I can totally fix this. Yeah, you so. had to do that on this show, you know, like two <laughs> episodes <recently>. ago. <laughs> I've only, I've been hardcore cut out of this two times in the entire time of the show. The first time was controversial and you and I had a bit of a back and forth. Yeah, I don't and then, think you agreed yeah. with me cutting it, but I didn't care. I still I don't. It, anyway. it was still hilarious. This last one, I, I listened back to it, and I said, I think that's hilarious. People that know me will think that's hilarious. People who are just now finding the show, gonna not going to think that's funny. Yeah, really, that joke's a bit much. Yeah. And I just opened it up with inflating your cap with a... <laughs> Anyway. Bicycle pump. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. We got a lot of the audio stuff done yeah. today. There's still a little bit more video stuff we have to finish. So yeah, um, 
December's video might be coming out with January's video. But that's perfectly fine. Mistakes but were made. We're learning. How's January's coming along? January's is coming along great. While Kristen was working her ass off at the audio thing, I sat down and clickety-clacked up the script for the uh, silent film that we're doing for the month of January. I forgot what month we were in. <laughs> um, and Kristen liked it, so we are... Up in par. That one's up on the court. I court. get my first challenge in this one of trying to shoot from a moving vehicle, though, so that's yeah. going to be interesting. Well, there's a couple of things that I have written down where, yeah, we got to do the first in-vehicle shot. And I, for the audience, I drive a 93 Wrangler, so there's not a lot of space, but it's more or less completely gutted, save the driver and passenger seat. I don't even have a radio, thanks to some shithead. I no longer have a tool bag. <laughs> So do you have any idea, like, are you going to lay down in the back while we're doing the driving, or are you... I don't know. See, that one's going to take me a minute to think about, because my fear is the roads here are very bumpy. And the Jeep has no shocks. No, so the Jeep is <laughs> like you're riding in a roller coaster. So how to get a steady shot. And um, I don't necessarily want it to look like it's looking through a window. Like, I might do some shots from behind you, yeah, in the back of the Jeep, just to kind of see, like, yeah. that over-the-shoulder view. But I wish I had a way to mount the camera to the actual car itself so that there would be footage of just the stuff coming mm -hmm. by, like you were the person looking at it. Well, maybe that's our new challenge. Ugh, I don't we have... got a couple of new challenges. No, I don't, I don't have... No dialogue, and it's only, like, three or four <laughs> minutes long, but I'm about to put you through the fucking ringer. I don't have uh, insurance <laughs> on my camera, so we're not putting my camera strapped to yeah. the hood of your car. You can just sit on the gear. hood of the car. While we're driving downtown, yeah. I'm pretty sure we'd get arrested. I've got some straps. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'd get arrested. Strap you to the roof like a deer. Take the top season. off the Jeep and I'll just stand up. Yeah. It's just only, freeze. I mean, it's fucking seven degrees outside, but if that's what you want to do. <laughs> well, you have to suffer with me because the top will be off on your side as I, well. I went through the whole first winter with no goddamn windows. I'm cool with it. I'll wear your little face mask thing. <laughs> yeah, my balaclava. <laughs> Be all set to go. Yeah, we got to figure that out. We got to figure out the the shots from the back of the jeep. We got to figure out shooting out of the jeep. Yeah. Um, it's realistically we probably will be doing that with the windows down because yeah. I'm not shooting through the windows. No, no, no. It would look really dumb. And this is the first time that Kristen is in a nightmare box production production. <laughs> Can't tell you what I'm doing because that's a secret. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Brett. With, may without be you, there is no story in this. <laughs> Brett may be potentially running the camera for part of this one. Yeah, running the camera or setting up on a tripod, but <laughs> something. So I mean, it's a mashup. It's you and I. It's me and you and you and me. <laughs> Are you excited? Right and direct the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, while Brett and I were. Uh, Still in bed this morning. Brett was zonked out still. Um, For so long. <laughs> My body has just been like, fuck you recently. <laughs> but we were we were out late-ish last night, too, to be fair. What were we'll, we doing last night, Chris? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bogart the episode. <laughs> um, while Brett was still zonked out, I was perusing the internet. And I've mentioned him for sure on this podcast before. But if you've never heard any of those episodes, there's a filmmaker that I have a lot of respect for just because of the very non-traditional way that he went about uh, becoming, I guess, a bit more of a household name. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's, like, hyper-successful, but, you know, um, him and his wife uh, did a lot of short films together, and they were pretty much the only crew that they had. He did uh, a lot of work like we do. Like What's really, I'm going to get there. Calm down. You never introduce the person. You always are, like, playing Jeopardy with the audience. <laughs> Calm down. 
Um, maybe I'll have to tease it before okay, I okay. say it. So he did all these things? Um, like, made a lot of his work with, uh, oh, I never did turn the dryer off. I completely forgot about it. It's my all right. Dad, well, the dryer's clicking off. <laughs> I meant to turn that off. We're professionals. Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, you know, they did a lot of their short films with cheap gear, you know, whatever they had available. And, um... His name is David Sandberg. He did a short film called Lights Out, which, um, if you've never heard of it, uh, became an actual feature film. Mm -hmm. um, His short went around to a lot of festivals and garnered a lot of praise, and people reached out to him to see if they could make it into a feature film, and so that was his first feature film. He's worked on, I think, like, Annabelle creation, and there's, like, a... uh, I think it's a bit of a satire superhero film. I can't remember what it's. It's like Shazam or something like that. It's not the one with Will Smith. No. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he, very similar to us. You know, it was little low budget shorts, mm-hmm. just kind of passion projects, like doing what he could do. So, um, yeah, I was googling on the internet while Brett was asleep, and that was my feel good for the morning. I was like, <laughs> they did it. They did it. <laughs> did it big. Um. And then we got, like, two extra things I want to talk about on this one. Do you want to mention what we were doing last night, since you tried to bring that up earlier? We have no flow today. (laughs) Where is the flow? Let's get through the new script, new challenges, and then we'll talk about last night, okay? I don't... No more chocolate before we do these goddamn episodes, because my brain turns into a firework for, like, 15 minutes, and then I'm nodding off at the end. Um, But we have... uh, the need for and the importance of bloody bed sheets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Fortunately, I do know how to make fake blood. We have done that before. How do you make fake blood? Films. Um, I'd have to look up the recipe again because I don't know the proportions. Mm-hmm. But um, chocolate syrup helps give you that dark color. Yeah. Um, red food coloring. I think if you mix a little bit of green and blue in it, but very little, mm-hmm. it helps kind of give it that deep bloody color Mm because if you just put the red food coloring and you don't add the chocolate syrup or you get like that 70s really pale blood effect yeah like ridiculously bright red blood and that's not what blood looks like and then um corn syrup to thicken it up and water i believe are the Mm -hmm. only things that you put in it um it's a really easy recipe to find you can google it online but we've done it before and uh the dolls i've done it before on other films i have it's edible I probably wouldn't eat it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it is. Probably doesn't taste very good. It smells literally just like chocolate, though. The whole time you're making it, I'm like, it smells kind of tasty. I do have a couple of little things of actual, like, special effects blood, but they're not big enough to really... Yeah, douse a bed sheet in. So I kind of hang on to them for, like, making wounds and stuff Mm -hmm. like that because it's a bit better consistency. The only downside to the corn syrup, chocolate syrup blood is that... um, I think after a while, it turns kind of a brownish color. Yeah. So it doesn't really look like blood blood after a while. And um, I think it's a little more runny than special effects blood tends to be. I think special effects blood tends to, like, clot a bit better. Yeah. So it's not perfect, but I go back and watch our clip of it from the dolls, and it looks like blood to me. Yeah. So (laughs) it works. And finally, I get to have a haircut. You do. <laughs> Are you super excited I about am, that? I am, because I'm, 
my dad was a military guy and I was a military guy and I never had hair that touched my ears. Like <laughs> I got that ended when I was like, you know, 14, 15 years old and it's touching my ears and it drives me insane. And you're I'm fine with a mountain man beard. And I've got a mountain man beard and I found out that if I push it up, I look fucking insane. I look like a crazy homeless person. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a feature or a short sure. in the future. Yeah. Grow your hair out and then moose it all up. <laughs> Blow it all up. But, um, uh, what did we do last night, Kristen Pennington? We went to the ballet. What ballet, Kristen Pennington? Uh, ballet Beyond Borders, I think Fuck that's what yeah. it's called. Fuck so, yeah. Goddamn cultured. Yeah. Brett worked all day and still <laughs> went out to the ballet with Didn't me and dinner. the family. Did yeah. it sober. <laughs> <laughs> um, which has kind of brought on, I guess, a interesting debate in my mind because... Um, it was a very culturally diverse show. We only caught the first half of it at intermission. We yeah. went home because we I were was both not watching exhausted. three hours of ballet yeah. <laughs> after a ten-hour shift at work. Yeah, <laughs> we were both exhausted and starving, so we only caught the first part of it. But the first hour and a half, like I said, super mm-hmm. culturally diverse, fantastic performers, and a lot of incredibly talented men. Yeah, um, and not just like are they also called ballerinas, or do they have a different name? I don't know. I don't know what you call a male performer. Hmm. Um, cause, and yeah, I mean, that's a, a good point. Not all of them. There were a couple that were like interpretive dance, um, type performances, but there were some straight up traditional mm-hmm. male ballet performances. So yeah. I, I don't know if they're like standing on the toes. And yeah. Stuff. Like pirouettes and all that fun mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, it did kind of have me thinking cause it's a, a, a thing that I've been struggling with, um, about gender stereotypes in different fields and why you shouldn't let those stereotypes hold you back. Like, I don't think most men are particularly encouraged to be dancers and most women are not particularly (laughs) encouraged to be filmmakers. So, um, especially after all you read, I thought you were either going to cry or fight your computer (laughs) at one point. I just looked over and I was like, she's not looked that angry in a good man. I wasn't angry. (laughs) It's it's just, um, it's sad because, Um, like science and stuff too. Like women aren't particularly encouraged in science and men aren't encouraged to have feelings of any kind. (laughs) Be a dead droid, go to war in Libya. (laughs) So like men aren't, I don't think encouraged to really read or Mm -hmm. be in touch with the arts. Like going to a ballet probably seems like a sissy thing to do. And like, there's all these weird stereotypes about just doing like the cookie bit on Burr, like just doing things that you yeah. enjoy. What do you can't want? A have. cookie, cookie, cookie. <laughs> can't have a cookie or pet a dog or carve a pumpkin or any yeah. of that shit. Your heart just has to explode while you're eating banana pancakes. <laughs> you ordered banana pancakes. What fag? Bring but, a little uh, over here, whole little shove it in his ass. <laughs> it's part of the joke. No, that was a pretty yeah. funny bit. I will give you that. But yeah, it's uh, whenever I was in film school, um, a thing that even openly got brought up while I was in school, you know, I had a, a very forward-thinking male professor who was like, look, you're going to have a hard time. It's yeah. hard for women in this industry, and you guys have to be the ones to kind of go out there and help pave the way because... It's still new. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and even your mom, like, bought me a present for christmas that was like related to the film industry and you said she said she couldn't find anything that yeah she went like a week of searching for the perfect gift that was related to the film stuff and it was all male based like almost everything yeah and that's 
disheartening to an extent. Like, Mm -hmm. I never, as a child growing up, had female filmmakers to look up to. And um, it's not necessarily, like, slowed me down or stopped me or anything. I don't think having idols to look up to is so important that you can't press forward on your own. But at the same time, like, it's like when you look back on it, it's like, oh, fuck, there are no women out here. Yeah. Well, like, when I think of writing, you know, I've got a plethora of authors that I look up to and yes most of them are male um, but as you were just saying the arts are not a thing that they tend to push boys into yeah. I was not on the football team I tried to write poetry in the back of a bus so <laughs> to keep our fucking heads in perspective here um, but I always had that person where it was like you know for example like Kerouac like overcame you know everything punched the industry in the dick with his new and interesting way of breaking into the beatnik style you know Stephen King fucking had next to no money to take care of his family and then fucking sold Carrie and never lost and it was like I feel like the interesting thing about King in particular, though, is... His wife was his main support. Well... A huge part of it. Well, too, that and the fact that uh, his story that kind of turned his life around was about a female, strong character. And it was saved by his wife. Yeah. He threw it away. (laughs) Like, that is kind of an interesting dynamic there, that he uh, has had this incredible Mm -hmm. career, and it all started with a lead female character, which I've never really thought about. Go back and reread Carrie's uh, <laughs> next level book. But he threw it in a trash can and she, say, or she, 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 she <laughs> saved his career. She's like, you get yeah. back in that fucking kitchen and you yeah. finish that story. <laughs> <laughs> but it always, you know, as a, as a boy, when I realized that this is what I wanted to do, um, there was a dude who looked like me, you know, not physically, but another white dude who wrote stories, you know. Yeah. And I could always say to myself, well, you know, all those people told Polonick to go eat a thousand dicks, and Polonick ate his thousand dicks and then published Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, and that is, I mean, there are incredibly talented women in the industry, but there aren't people as big name as the men that yeah. kind of dominate the industry to like look up no to. there is no female Scorsese. Yeah, the- so there is kind of that, I feel like, and again, it's not a thing that's like going to hold me back because I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. But uh, there is, a feel like, kind of that inner fear of mm-hmm. like, will I ever achieve actual success? Yeah. Like, it doesn't even have, you know, the equivalent in film. Um, doesn't even have an equivalent to like a Maya Angelou or a Mary Chalet. Like, I had to read a list to find female directors to talk about on this episode. And I've, I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. You know? And most of them, like, or actually all of them, I think, if you literally just told There's me There's one name, bad bitch on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're definitely going to talk about her. But even her, she's, like, the most, um, or she's been, I feel like, the most successful of all of the women that we kind of looked yeah. over today. And, like, I wouldn't have known her name. If you had told me her name, I would have been like, who? And the films she made, I assumed, were made by men. Yeah. Until, like, thinking about it and going, holy hell. You know, like, no, that, that, that is perfect. There is a matriarchal, um, view of the world in all three of these films that are, you know, praised by mostly men. So do we want to get into that list? I don't know. You're running the topic. This is girl power. (laughs) Bitch. (laughs) Let's get into her specifically at the very least. Okay. uh, Well, can I, can I name the one that surprised me the most on the list before I get into her? Let's just do the list then, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> we should have mapped this out. We've got, we've got two sets of notes and neither one of us wants to take power because I don't want to take the power away from the white woman. And, uh... <laughs> Who is it? The one that surprised me the most was um, Mary Heron. She did a film in 2000 that I hold deeply to my heart. The screenplay was written by a guy who has the same name as me, and that makes me happy. Because <laughs> American Psycho was written by Brett Eston Ellis and directed by Mary Heron. And I didn't realize like how many female qualities are in the decisions made in the film that were not made in the novel until it was pointed out. That was a female that directed that movie. Yeah. And it is a... Uh... So I feel like a man would have just skipped to the crazy side of the character and would have missed the face mask and the yoga, you know, Yeah, like his room. kind of oddly effeminate characteristics. Mm-hmm. And then even there was a which I've only seen it the one time Brett and I watched it recently, almost like a tenderness to the victims. A lot of the time, whenever, mm-hmm. you know, you have these bloody films where the victims killed, it's just like all the violence and the blood and all this. And like, you kind of, um, like the one prostitute he picks up multiple times, like yeah. kind of connected with her on a level. So there was like this, like emotional tenderness with the victims where it was like, ah, oh, don't get her, you know, <laughs> instead of just her running around screaming the yeah. whole time. The women aren't, idiots but the ones that are are like hyper drugged out they're like his girlfriend in the movie where she's just basically on painkillers the yeah. entire time living yeah. underneath this hyper successful go get them guy you know there are a lot of female decisions made in that i hate the stereotype so it's, it's not rambo okay <laughs> <laughs> you could have taken american psycho and made it a really dumb movie or you could have understood like all of those little nuances and I want to go back and rewatch it now that I know it was directed by a woman to see if I can pick up on the little subtleties yeah. that are there. It's a well-done movie. Yeah. I will say, I'd, like I said, I had never seen it until we watched it together. And it it's interesting for sure, <laughs> but it's well done. So kudos to her. Hell yeah. Um, I don't know anything about the next one, but you watched it and you pointed out that you knew a few things on it. Uh, the Babadook oh, from Babadook. 2014, which is uh, Jennifer Kent. Yeah, and I've only seen it once, and I saw it years ago, so um, I don't super clearly remember it, but I, I do remember, um, I, don't, I was watching it with my mom one night, it was just like one of the things that we would do yeah. sometimes, like just pick random horror films and be like, <laughs> oh, we're doing this one. Um, That's how I stole your heart, <laughs> brought back Some all the parts of your childhood. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a neat film, and like I, I don't think I realized it was made by a woman until you brought that up today either, but it makes sense because um, it is very much a psychological trauma-slash-horror film. I don't remember why the woman is grieving, but I remember the mother character is just really like kind of this distraught, torn-up character. I can't remember if like her husband died or what happened, but... um. It's just her and her kid, and, like, this monster is kind of terrorizing the two of them. And then you come to this point of realization where the monster is actually a part of her. Like, she, mm-hmm. she's dealing with this trauma and this grief and stuff that she hasn't managed to shake off yet. So it's become this troubling presence in their household. Yeah. 
My only complaint is it did what a lot of horror films do and in the end kind of jumped ship from this kind of beautiful metaphor and uh, the Babadook still exists. It's yeah. uh, living chained up in their basement, I think, at the end of the film. Like, mm-hmm. she keeps it like it's a pet almost. And I guess to some extent, maybe that's kind of symbolic, but um, I don't know. It's the weird trope that a lot of these, like, early 2000s films, they keep falling into. Where it's <clears> like, look, if you want to discuss mental illness, don't blame it on a monster in a closet at the end. Yeah. Fucking follow through. It's mental ill. Yeah. And like I said, to some extent, I guess maybe the keeping the monster chained in the house is symbolic because she's still holding on to it. But you could... The monster is in her head. Yeah. Like you could represent (laughs) that without needing the physical presence of the monster Mm -hmm. at that point. Because the very tail end, I remember thinking, was just kind of ridiculous. And it was like it was this really pretty metaphor for her kind of being the monster. Because she had let this grief overtake her life. Because like I said, I think it's her husband that's dead. Um, and at the end, you don't need the physical presence of the monster anymore. You realize it's her struggling mm-hmm. with it. And it is, like I said, I could see looking back on it now, like how, like there is a feminine touch to it. It's, it's this woman dealing with this grief that yeah. she hasn't been able to name yet. So I wish the end was better, but it was for the most part, a interestingly done film. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm not shitting on Jennifer Kent. I've never seen her movie. I, just, I have a thing. I'm, I, I, I am mentally ill. I've pointed it out multiple times on here and in my own personal life. Um, <laughs> I've had some moments, shall we say. Uh, whoa. So my, my, my hurt for the monster was there the whole time, such as in Cloverfield Lane. Uh, yeah. It, it bothers me because you can be so much more vulnerable if we're just willing to talk about it but we can do a whole episode on mental illness we and did horror in film. one of our two stars <laughs> well yeah but we could do like one that's directly well here's where the film jump ship and here's where the film jump ship but um the next one and the last one before no we got two but i don't know a whole lot about one of them uh is big 1988, Penny Marshall. I can't remember the premise of it right now. (laughs) It is gone. I've seen it once, and it was a long time ago. I remember the scene where he's on the piano. They danced on the piano. That's all I can remember. But Big was uh, directed by a woman named Penny Marshall. Critically acclaimed film, I believe. I hear it's brilliant. I can't remember the last time I watched it. Um, And then Monster which was uh, made in 2003, and the director for that one was Patty Jenkins. Which I don't think I know what that one is. Monster is a film about Eileen Warnhouse. And Eileen Warnhouse, if you're into serial killers the way that I'm into serial killers, is the first time they realized that women were capable of serial sexual murder. Uh, normally women will, uh, who are serial killers, um, not... <laughs> Not normally women. Um, (laughs) They'll do the Black Widow tactic. Well, they'll marry over and over again and arsenic lace their husband. Or they'll go into uh, the medical field and uh, overdose their patients. And Eileen was a prostitute who would go pick up Johns and then shoot them to death and steal all their money. And if you watch her death row confessions, it's it, it, she's obviously a paranoid schizophrenic and didn't deserve to be killed. But um, 
she was raped by multiple Johns and then just started assuming she was going to get raped. So she That's was, yeah. so she would pick up a John and when the John got handsy, she'd shoot him, but she's a prostitute being paid by the John. So like hmm. she, the immediate like sexual touch would throw her into a violent frenzy, Is but she was a... a prostitute who would agree to it and then shoot him is it a documentary or is it like an actual it's movie? a film film um i believe and don't quote me on this it's the woman from the terminator plays her hmm. i may be way off but i, I want to say that's right as i'm I thinking about it right yeah it's it's great it, it follows eileen and i can't for the life of me remember what it was called but i watched a documentary once that was about a serial killer lady that would like marry and poison her yeah. husband's that has nothing to do with There's female a filmmakers, but of them. Yeah. yeah. But the way Eileen did it was like almost son of Sam. It was very masculine the way that she performed it, which makes her an interesting study for serial murder. Yeah. And so she's always she's like the Ed Gein, Ted Bundy of women. It's interesting. Yeah. We'll but can we talk about the baddest bitch on the planet right now? Let's right talk after about we talk her. about Eileen. <laughs> I did not know her name. And now I want to watch everything she's ever done. <laughs> I want to watch the first film she ever created, and you can talk about that after we cover her three big hits that I've got on my list. This lady, which is going to blow your fucking mind, okay, did Point Break. Think about Point Break. Just think about Point Break for a second. Guy shoots gun in the air. They're all dressed up like Ronald Reagan. They're fucking robbing banks. They're surfing on shit. Very much a guy film. She did Zero Dark Thirty. Which divided a nation. <laughs> and most importantly, she won an award. What award for it? Uh, she is the only woman to have ever received an Academy Award for the Best Director for... The fucking Hurt Locker. <laughs> which came out in 2009 and is arguably the greatest war film that has been made in my lifetime. Like, if I had to go 1991 to 2020, The Hurt Locker is it. It, it, it captures everything on a deeply emotional level. I assumed it was written by a man who had gone to war and had come home. And it's written by a woman yeah. who was not a soldier at all. <laughs> but all the emotional destruction that happens in the Hurt Locker could only be reached, I think, in a weirdly you know, sexist pro move by a female. And that lady is Catherine Bigelow. I I will say, um, and that kind of makes me sad for her. I want to watch all the Bigelow movies. I want to go Scorsese, Tarantino, and Bigelow, bitch. (laughs) Those are the ones. That makes me sad for her, though. Is like if you had just told me her name, I, I would have no idea who that was. And to have been the only woman to date to have ever earned uh, that honor, which... I do think the Academy Awards are a bit of a a bit of a showing to pat yourself on no, the back, and the they're a bit ridiculous. Are, yeah. yeah, so I mean, that doesn't really say any one director is better than the other or anything, but to have been the only woman to date to have won what's considered such an honor. Oh, and almost a hundred and oh, it is over a hundred years of film. Yeah. I don't and, know how long the Academy has been around, yeah. but I know it's old as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and for me to still not even know who she is is kind of sad. Um, I did do a little research on her earlier today just because I had no idea who she was. And um, 
her mother was a librarian, I believe, and her father was a manager at a paint factory, and she originally went to school to learn painting. Yeah. And, um wound up kind of ending up in the film industry and I didn't write it down but her first film that she did was like a little 20 minute short film where she uh actually had the actors like physically beat each other up because there was a fight scene and she's like no I need you to actually like bludgeon each other that was her first (laughs) like short short that Mm -hmm. caught wind so that's pretty cool that she uh like even in her beginning stages like had like the gumption to be like no we're gonna do this and Mm -hmm. we're gonna do this for real um she was apparently i guess before that kind of a starving artist type so that's also kind of inspiring that this woman who has gone on to be Mm -hmm. kind of a symbol for like other women who can also get to that point started at the bottom you know she didn't come from a wealthy family she didn't come from famous hollywood directors already she wasn't married to a famous Hollywood director husband. She was like, no, I'm just going to go do this thing. Well, she had the quote that I found today where she was, I'm going to paraphrase it. It was a lot longer, but she was more or less like I had to think about my place as a woman in the film industry and determine that I couldn't change my sex and I wasn't going to stop making films. (laughs) So if you don't like it, get over it, (laughs) which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I will have to definitely go back and revisit some of her movies because that's as a female filmmaker, it hurts my heart a bit that I had no idea who she was. Yeah. Like, I, I had no idea that those movies were made by women at all. So well, Especially, like, The Hurt Locker and Point Break. I'd, I've, I've never seen Zero Dark Thirty. I can't speak for Zero Dark Thirty. I've, I, I've, I've written off propaganda films in my head, or what a lot of these war movies have turned into, where yeah. it's like, here's why we deserve to be here. So I never watched that one. Yeah, I didn't watch um, it either. Because it was hypercharged, and it was way too close to the Bin Laden death, where I was like, you know, there's no way this is not state propaganda. <laughs> but the Hurt Locker is so many beautiful moments. It deals with PTSD, and that was a very important film. It doesn't feel like a... Yeah, we're going to war and it's okay. <laughs> like at, at the end of the film, when he's standing in the grocery store and picking his cereal is such a monumental decision that he goes back to Iraq. <laughs> like it, it, it speaks inside of the, the brain of, you know, the character. So, yeah. but, um, yeah, facts about women. Yeah. And kind of honor of this whole concept of, uh, female filmmakers kind of not having had their moment in the spotlight just yet. I did look up some other stuff. So in a 2019 study of directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, and cinematographers in 2019's top 100 grossing films for all of those categories, women only made up 20%, which is kind of crappy. <laughs> and um, I think it was in the top 250 grossing films, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Only 12% of those were directors. Or no, sorry, it was 100%. Or the 100 top grossing films, only 12% of those were directors. And the 250 highest grossing films, only 5% of those God. were women cinematographers. Damn. So uh, we got some work to do, women. Yeah. <laughs> Men are killing the game. <laughs> As a cisgendered white man, I'm not white knighting for anybody. I think regardless of gender or race, you just need to get out there and get at it like your life depends on it because it does. And I believe that we all reincarnate. So I would like to assume that if I were you, I'd be getting after it regardless of the challenge. 
But uh, I'm a mentally disturbed, uh, poor person, so <laughs> I understand struggle. <laughs> Interestingly, um, because our January challenge is a quote-unquote silent film, apparently the invention of uh, the talkies or uh, you know film yeah. with sound attached to it uh, kind of killed the industry for women. Um, Which is surprising if you give the time rate because World War One had just ended, World War Two is about to go. Women should have been killing the film industry because <laughs> all the men were at war. What the fuck happened there? <laughs> like fucking four million of us all got like taken off the planet. <laughs> Outside of the Jews, Jews. I mean, and the oh. Russians. I, I know I blew the number. I'm sorry. I fucked it up. <laughs> Well, apparently in the silent film industry, um, editing was kind of seen as a woman's job because that mm-hmm. was when people were still literally shooting on film and yeah. you would have to actually cut the film and then tape the film back together mm-hmm. and literally hand piece this movie together and it was considered similar to sewing and that was a woman's you work. how big of a pain in the ass that job has to be? Um, Allie, our teacher from school, apparently when she was in film school, like actually did that herself. And then I had a different film teacher too that, uh, she was saying that was how she learned like actual piecing film together. I've personally never had to do it. It's frustrating enough on a computer that you just have to like find the exact moment to stop the dripping sink. You know? Yeah. Now you got to do it on film reel. Like, I think it would be kind of cool to just do it once for maybe a short film just to yeah. see what it feels like i would never in a million years want to actually edit my movies no i want to shoot one on 35 mil oh. and, and <laughs> that's gonna be a nightmare because yeah uh editing on a computer where you're not actually corrupting the film and you can go back and be like wait wait undo that is yeah. a pain in the ass <laughs> um but yeah it was considered a woman's job because it was akin to sewing so um Women did that job for very little pay just to break into the industry, but they were the ones at the end of the day getting to make choices about what the movie looked like in its final form. So it was kind of like a F you, but at the same time, I'm making no money. You have entire control. You're just taking everything that's already been done and giving us the final edit. Vague guidelines, but we don't know how to do it. So it's at the end of the day, it's up to the women. (laughs) But for whatever reason, which I also don't honestly really understand why, um, after sound was added to video, women were kind of just booted off to the side. They were... It's one of the things that I was reading today, too, was it was almost an equal playing ground right up until the invention of the talkie. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I guess men were like, oh, this is like... The reinvention of cinema. Let's, you know, get in here. Yeah. Divide and, and conquer and stab yeah. each other for. <laughs> so I find this a little ironic, honestly, and also kind of cool for our relationship. Just women talk? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was I was about to have a mush and you're being a butthead. Um, oh, mush away, love. <laughs> like women at that point, whenever... Um, Sound was added to cinema were kind of regulated to traditional or things you would traditionally think of as women roles. Mm -hmm. Like they did costume design, set design, and makeup. But screenwriting was also considered a feminine role. Yeah, no, I'm a little girl. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But I I, I think that's a cool dynamic in our relationship that... um, I get pegged? No. (laughs) No, like you, you do all... The writing and stuff like that, and that's a, a trait that I'm like, oh, like that's yeah. invaluable. I can't sit down and do this stuff, and then I I do the filmmaking stuff, and you know, 
when it comes to stuff like that, I feel like a lot of men are kind of like, oh, that's a man's job. What are you doing? You know, you don't, you don't know anything. Like, give me that and I'll take care of it. And like, you're kind of like, no, you got this. Like, go, go for it. it. No, you're a lot better at it than I am. That's why I say that. Like, I, I, I've been told almost my whole life that what I do is, you know, I, I, I grew up in a time where this word was okay and this description was okay. Okay. Writing was looked at as a bit faggoty. <laughs> He's also British. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm English and I grew up in the South, you know, <laughs> in the 90s and 2000s. Um, so, yeah, no, it was not looked up to. Nobody liked what I did until I was like 25 and we've like entered this whole new world. But you know, it was not a man's trait to write a poem to a girl. Like the girls enjoyed it. Like you can't take that away from them. Women love poetry. Bitches love poetry. Um, <laughs> Bitches love cake. Yeah, but it's like where I found my footing was trying to win women over, you know, in a way. Well, I think the thing that's interesting for me, like, kind of looking at your side of things is, um, like, you and I didn't meet until we were both older. Um, I was, what, 29 when we met? You were 26 or so. Mm-hmm. And um, you didn't write me any poetry like you bought me some poetry books but like all of your writing has always kind of been in the horror veins and horror horror that's a word i can't get out right yeah horror you're like vein. it's always but you've just been writing about whores this entire horrors. time you're like yeah then she sucks his dick i'm just <laughs> all these whores uh, horror uh vein since i've known yeah. you that's always kind that's of not been... what i started on i started well, off like oh dear alice no <laughs> Well, but, like, since I've known you, that's been the writing style that you you mm-hmm. have kind of ascended to or whatever. And, um... Or descended, if you look at <laughs> yeah. book sales. Yeah, maybe. You'd be better off writing horror novels. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I told you that, um, because I... I bought a copy of your book, The Madman Diaries, off of you whenever we were still in our screenwriting class together. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and... The Nightmare Box blog. Oh, my God. If we ever fix that if link. <laughs> but, um, like, I, I bought a copy of The Madman Diaries from you while we were still in our screenwriting class, and I'm pretty sure I told you that um, in person, but I was kind of surprised by, like, the emotional intensity of the book it's not just a book that's like oh and then he sliced her intestines out or whatever like there's a lot of there's a whole story about a woman who's lost her child who's pushing an empty swing set yeah all the story there's a lot of uh, like deep emotional intensity to it and from or in my opinion anyway like a relatively solid understanding of your female characters and stuff so like even whenever you're talking about emotions that are particular to the woman character in the story i was like you know i i connect with that (laughs) so like Uh, yeah i'm not writing like she had massive tits (laughs) (laughs) but like you you even had a character that was like um she went on a date with like a hyper abusive dude and even like her emotional Mm -hmm. complexity in that moment i was like I've been there. Yeah, mirrors available <laughs> in the Madman Diaries. <laughs> so that's a, a thing that I've always really admired in your work and even the short story for January. It's a more emotionally complex piece. It's not just like, and then somebody slashed somebody and mm-hmm. some bitch ran away screaming. You know, there's like a lot of emotionally intense, complex stuff going on in your stories. And 
it's not a thing I feel like you typically associate with men. like Or Brett Bloom <laughs> in particular, because outside of my writing, I am almost emotionless. <laughs> well, <laughs> the whole stereotype in film is, I guess, to some extent true of the real world, too. Like, the I'm women sorry, are... You gave me a compliment. I <laughs> Gotta walk getting away. Uncomfortable. <laughs> but, like, that's a stereotype of both film and real life. Like, the women are... The smart, like, people that are, like, detail-oriented in the planners and stuff, but they're also the naggers and the whiners and the bitchers yeah. and, like, That's the men. That's what I am in the relationship. I'm a <laughs> no, nag and what? a whiner and a bitch. That is not what I'm saying. Why are you trying to make this awkward? But, and, like, the men are, like, the strong doers, but they're also very simple-minded and, like, easy to please. Yeah. And they don't get upset, but they're also kind of stupid. And mm-hmm. it's, like kind of refreshing to be in this relationship where I can do the things that are supposed to be male jobs and like be dating someone that I can talk to and not be like, Oh my God, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, I think you're the smartest person I've ever been with. I think, um, you're definitely the most talented person I've ever been with. I, uh, but I'm also like outside of the writing I have to justify myself now because you <laughs> revealed to the world that I have emotions in a book that I revealed oh, to the world before. God I forbid. Uh, the kind of guy where if we're sitting in a bar and some dude slaps your ass, I'm definitely bottling that other human <laughs> being before you have a chance to go, oh no, Brett, please don't. I have a palatable temper in the real world. <laughs> but hey, it comes off in your... I don't your... know why I needed to justify that. I it felt com- like a little girl. <laughs> oh. No, it comes off in your writing, too, though. There, it's not just, like... It's an angry act- romanticism. That's my well, niche no, audience. I, I've, told you, <laughs> I've told you before, like, I, as far as scary stuff goes, I prefer psychological yeah. over... There's a physical monster, you know? And, like, whenever I read you your book, a, I... Yeah, you don't need a physical monster. There's enough of us walking around, you know? Yeah. But, like, whenever I read People your book, I... fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I legit cried at part of it because there's, like, this deep, dark, like, actual terrifying human element to it. But also, like, this really heavy emotional bit to it. So, I, like, it's this beautiful, like, Thank complex you. bundle of trauma. And nerves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm just a nerve. I walk in the walls. <laughs> I appreciate that. Like, that's my favorite thing about our relationship is that I feel like we're both more complex than society wants us to be. And of course. we're both okay with that. We talked about it the other night. Uh, granted, we had a few. <laughs> um, I asked Kristen if she remembered the moment where she fell out of the quote-unquote it. Where, like, Having the good job felt like a death sentence. And we laughed on the couch. We turned off this dumbass documentary series we were watching. (laughs) And we laughed on the couch for about half an hour about the people that fell into the it at the same time where we fell out of the it. Like the people who got married when I was having a nervous breakdown. The people who took the career job when you were moving out to Atlanta. Like, when the real world didn't make sense anymore, 
<laughs> and there was no going back. I mean, there's no point now where you and I can ever just blend right back to sticking photocopy paper into the photocopier and we're content with that. And we're going to talk to people about our hot tub or, you know, like the one time we went to fucking Marceloni or like that's not a real place, but <laughs> I couldn't, remember, couldn't remember the place that I normally reference. Monaco. Monaco. There's no point. <laughs> There's no point where you and I are gonna be like, oh, ten years ago I went to Monaco and I've never had a challenge ever since. No. It's so it needs to be ragged aligned. and twisted and fucking wild. It needs to spin itself around a goddamn street pole. And they, they, there is no going back. We've seen too much. We pushed too far. We broke it. We we broke whatever the it is that holds everybody else in place. And nobody else makes sense. And I'm like, oh God, she wants to be a filmmaker? She's fucked. There's only 20% of filmmakers make it as women. I mean, only like 20% of filmmakers, if we're honest, who are men make it. Either, <laughs> but like into the industry at all. Um, but guess I'll just work harder. Yeah. Just blow the goddamn doors off this bitch. Because Kristen found her signature today. I did. Or yeah. I feel like I'm coming into it. I don't feel like I found it, but I do feel like I'm You've coming into it. You've recognized it. Like that classic quote that I like to bring up. Shiva, I see you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to contradict myself from an episode like two episodes ago, but... um. We're constantly contradicting. Love mistakes were made, and that's what we do. Getting getting serious. We were supposed to be arguing about feminism, right? Yeah, now. I've got statistics for you, but whatever. Fuck those. Um, yeah, I I made a comment about like joking about J.J. Abrams being my honorable yeah. mention for um, filmmakers who kind of have their own signature because he uses the, the flares. yeah the lens flares and everything and i do like putting light leaks on my photography i don't i still stand by that i don't do it on my films <laughs> i don't put lens flares or light leaks or any of that on my films that's a bit over the top but um i have actually discovered while editing our december short that like a lot of the photography I've been doing over the past uh, year or two, I guess I've been kind of fading out the photos and like burning the edges, like adding a vignette to the edges and then adding the light leaks and stuff like that. Cause I like that old film look. Mm-hmm. And, um, we've got a shot in the December where the shadows of a couple of beer, uh, bottles look like candles on the wall in the background. Yeah. And then they become like these crazy, like demon things that come out of the bottom of the screen in the close up. Yeah. And, um, like I, I've discovered that I, cause while I was editing this one, I was like, I just, it's not where I want it to be. So I went mm-hmm. and I added a vignette to it. So the edges of the film are all kind of like this darkened, like burned look and, um, like purposely went in and faded it. So it would look a little grittier than it looked originally. And, um, all right, Jax, we don't need your fucking opinion. He's like, oh, God, you people are catering to yourselves again. God, God, why don't you just jerk off on the computer? (laughs) And uh, all of the night shots in particular, I really like because they do kind of have those pops of color of the reds and the greens where we did the filtered lights. And like Brett was saying, like the beer bottles are, um, 
brown, but they're clearish enough for the light to get through. So the red light was reflecting through them and casting a dark red shadow on the wall. On the wall, so it looked like weird little birthday candles on the table yeah. <laughs> that just look super ominous. And um, I don't think that I will make a habit of always putting the colored gels on mm-hmm. the lights because that's a little over the top. But I've always really liked films where they have like the weird vibrant background like there's like that weird yellow thing in the background or that red thing in the background so I I do think I am kind of coming into this space where I'm like I really like the dark grittiness with just that random pop of color yeah um, and even in the day shots, I went back into them because we talked about... You You fixed those so <laughs> hardcore. I, I mentioned it once, and then you were like, I fixed it. Like, I'm a genius. Like, I was on the phone with my mom, and you threw your hands up in victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the day shots, um, there were a couple of shots where the color just didn't match up, period. Like, some shots were a yeah. little too bright or a little too orange or whatever, so I had to go back and fix them. And... Um, I've mentioned before I like blues and I went through and turned all of the day shots blue because I was just like, nah, I'm not feeling this bright yeah. shit. <laughs> Here it goes. So I made it all gritty and blue. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I am kind of a fan of moody, depressing, dark, gritty shots with just a little bit of color in them. We've hit the core of why you love me. <laughs> moody, dark, and depressing. But you've got a little flair. We've got some forty-five degree angle shots in this we movie. Do. I'm fucking, I'm, we do. I'm, I'm I did that all you. for you. <laughs> that one was for you. Um, and, uh, one more thing before we cut out of here. I'm I'm so fucking proud of you. By the way, I can't gloss over that. Proud but we've us. had way too many mushes on this episode. <laughs> The chocolate's fading out, and I've still got to make chicken parmesan. And we're going to dance in the kitchen and drink too much and fall asleep on the couch. And you're going to hate yourself at work tomorrow, yeah. and I'm going to shit myself in the bed. Um, <laughs> oh, do that. Um, is it a certain point today? Um, I had a gun in my hand because we were doing the audio recording, and you needed to show me. Oh, no. For, for the record, okay. when I empty the gun to use the gun as a prop, I state I'm using the gun as a prop to an empty room where Kristen's the only one because it reminds me to triple check the gun. So I pull all the bullets out of the gun. I put them on the counter. I check the chamber. I'd look away. I check the chamber as I was trained to do in the military. Double check the chamber. I spin the gun so that you check the chamber. And then I put the cylinder back in and And I'm just holding the gun aiming off into a direction. Kristen has been doing sound design all morning. Yeah. (laughs) And there we've got a gunshot in the film. Why would we have a gun without a gunshot? I added the gunshot sound today. That was not there. So I'm just aiming the gun at the wall and she hits play on what she wants me to do and she's not in the right place. So the gunshot happens before the gun scene and I'm holding a 357 <laughs> snub nose revolver and I just hear <laughs> And it sounds pretty realistic. And I almost dropped the motherfucker. Like Kristen like pushed back in her chair. It was a full blown panic. We thought we killed our neighbors. We had no idea what was going on. <laughs> It was a goddamn problem. I forgot about that. Well, Brad was. There was no way I wasn't putting that on wax. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking... 
brilliant, brilliant. I forgot about that. Brett was writing a January script while I was editing the sound for the gunshot. And I was going through all these gunshot sounds. So that wasn't there before today. <laughs> Completely forgot about it. I've just got a revolver in my hand. And I'm like, did I squeeze the trigger? Did the hammer fall back? What the fuck was that? <laughs> It sounds convincing, though, at least. <laughs> oh, my God. It scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> so that'll be out um, soon, maybe this weekend, depending on when this episode comes out, because we're aiming from uh, the weekend from now. So maybe this weekend it'll be out. It might just drop at the end of January as a double feature. But <laughs> We're getting there, though. But we're making it. <laughs> we're making Rome feel right. <laughs> and I'm making it. Can't steal that. It's Theo Vaughn's you know, occasional opener, but go check out Bishop Gun. Um, you had anything else, my love? No, today was a good day. Indeed, didn't have to use my AK. <laughs> <laughs> I am okay. I'm feeling it right now. Okay, we're, we're signing off, team. Um, you can find us over at... You gotta give me... A, <laughs> you gotta drop something here. I was like, okay, funny thoughts. No. Um, Facebook.com slash Nightmare Box There you go. I appreciate it. Uh, or you can go over there to the Twitter. You can shoot us a tweet. We'd love a tweet. Any tweet. At... At Nightmare Box Pro. Or you can go on over to Instagram where we're going to get Insta-famous. And you can get Insta-famous on this show by hitting us up at... At Nightmare Box Productions. Uh, or you can go over to YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. Over there, you can watch the dolls. You can watch everything Kristen's got done up over there. Uh, but, you know, you could also switch on over. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make that sound all dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, the short film that we're finishing up right now will be on YouTube.com yeah. slash Nightmare Box Productions. I didn't have that one. And I wanted to have that one in my head so that I could just be like, or you can go on over to the other thing where we're working together. But yeah. if you want to see Kristen's work right up to now, you can do that at YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. Or you can go to YouTube.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. To see where we're going to put this film up, hopefully, this weekend, um, your guys' time. Um, and then we got the other film coming out, and that'll be fucking awesome. Or you can go on over to the website at... TheNightmareBox.blog. Uh, where you can go in the top right-hand corner, and you can see The Dolls, directed by Kristen Pennington, written by this dude. Um, and it'll be fucking fantastic and awesome, and hopefully by now we fix the link that is at the bottom of that page that would lead you to the Madman Diaries, a collection. Uh, you send me $10, I'll send it to you anywhere in the world. If you desperately, desperately need it, my markup on Amazon is ridiculous and I have no idea how to fix it. So you can buy it on Amazon.com. Uh, you can buy it over at Barnes & Noble or if you're in England, I can't remember right now, like the big store over there, it's on their website as well. Um just Google around. It's on eBay. You can buy it for like two bucks. If you literally yeah. Google the Madman Diaries Brett Bloom, you'll get all the results. Exactly. I'm there. <laughs> I'm in this bitch. And if you see the other Brett Bloom, the guy who takes pictures of signs for a living, <laughs> and you see him on Twitter, fuck him up. Tweet him your twat. <laughs> Let him know I sent you. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. I love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Do da ba 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 da ba da ba 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 